According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I think we can spend the next 50 years in Proverbs chapter 3. There are other chapters after chapter 3. But for the moment, I am uh, I'm enjoying this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. All right, we have the Christian way of life outlined for us here in six verses, verses 5 through 12. And uh, this is what we're going to be dealing with here starting today. Before we get started, let's humble ourselves before the authority of the Word of God. Let's confess anything that needs to be dealt with and uh, prepare our hearts for the truth of his word. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the blessing we have this morning to assemble together. We're calling upon your faithfulness at this time, Father, your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding, your faithfulness to teach us from your truth, asking, Father, that your word will not be impaired by any human weaknesses or sicknesses or uh, other issues on the part of the speaker or on the part of the hearer. Father, uh, overcome any of the allergies and stuffiness and whatever else might be going on. Be faithful, Father, and bless your children today. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are dealing with the long-term benefits of a life spent in the Word of God. That's what happens when we turn from chapter 2 to chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. Do not forget. And the problem is, is you can have a right start. You can start off real well. You're grounded as a child. You are brought up in the, in the truth, but then you get away from it. And you get away from it, and you never get back to it, and you don't uh, reap the long-term benefits that this chapter is talking about. A lifetime spent in the Word of God. Of course, you can't forget it, and you have to obey from the heart. You can't give half-hearted service. You can't, it has to be wholehearted, and it, has to, it can't be phony. You can't just be making an external show and impressing your wife or impressing your children or impressing your pastor or whatever it is you're doing. It has to be wholehearted. So do not forget my teaching and let your heart keep my commandments. And we'll talk about wholeheartedness versus half-heartedness with... Um, Verse 5, when it says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart, or part of your heart, or half of your heart. No, it says all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. So we'll be dealing with that here today. Every believer can expect three additions to their human experience, and those three additions include length of days, years of life, and peace. Length of days, years of life, and peace. And we took the time to work our way through those verses and talk about those items, and hopefully we're clear on that so that we don't, uh, we'll do real well. If we did our homework in those verses, then we'll do real well coming up when we talk about health and wealth. Um, 
healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. And again, there's issues involved where believers try to claim this as an absolute promise and then blame God when they get sick. As if, uh, as if this is a, uh, or they don't have full barns and they say, well, it's God's fault. I should have full barns. I should be wealthy uh, because I have been honoring him with my wealth. Well, wait a minute. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the nature of wisdom literature and the nature of principles that apply as a general rule as opposed to absolute promises that we hold him to as if he owed us anything. Point three then, abiding in the word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and in truth. And the issues here where you will find favor with and good repute in the sight of God and man. Uh, verse three speaks of do not let kindness and truth leave you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. These will be the first things to go when you start neglecting your walk in the Word of God. You start to lose your chesed and you start to lose your emeth. And we did some time, uh, looked at some verses there related to kindness and truth. Under point four, we should keep the Word of God immediately at hand and treasured in our hearts. We don't want it uh, shoved in a back drawer somewhere under a dusty Bible. It's got to be at hand. It's got to be within easy reach. And, uh, and the best place of all is, of course, when you have it memorized, when you have it written upon your heart. And that's the second part of verse 3. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your hearts. And uh, the different principles there out of verse 3b. All right, which brings us now to main point 5 in the new material moving forward. Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith contains a summary description for the Christian way of life. Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith contains a summary description for the Christian way of life. And this is verses 5 through 12. You can use this as an outline. You can take it and teach it, if you like, as a devotional. But view this as an outline for the the basic Christian walk. This is what's expected of us. Starting with, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is the walk of faith. That's why we call this the walk of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. This is the Christian way of life. This is what it is we are called to do once we are born again. All right? And so we start here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust is a wholehearted endeavor. And, and we ran out of time last week as we were taking a look at the verses that contain the Hebrew batach, B-A-T-A-C-H, batach. Number 982 is the strongest concordance number with 113 Old Testament uses. Batach. B-A-T-A-C-H. And it's a marvelous word. It's a word that speaks of our assurance. It's a word that speaks of our uh, confidence, our trust, that which we are relying upon. And it must be a wholehearted endeavor. Uh, Out of the 113 Old Testament uses, 54 of them are in Psalms and Proverbs, so it's very common in the poetic literature. It's very common in the section of the Old Testament that speaks of personal application. All right. When you're talking about Torah, when you're talking about the law, you're talking about the commandments, you're dealing with issues of doctrine and issues of application, uh, the covenants that apply to the nation and how the nation operates within their priesthood. You're talking about the sacrificial system and all the other things that go with that, with the shadow doctrine of the animal ritual and so forth. But when you turn to the Psalms and the Proverbs, when you turn to the wisdom literature, you take all of that doctrine and you make it very personal. How does an individual believer walk day by day, moment by moment? What is the experience in the life of an individual believer? Okay, And so it's not contradictory to the Torah. It's not contradictory to other parts of the Old Testament. But it does get very personal for application. 
And so I'm not surprised that a term like batach shows up with such an um, em- emphasis in Psalms and Proverbs. As I say, 54 out of the 113 uses are right here in Psalms and Proverbs. We also have it in Isaiah 26, which uh, many of us are very fond of. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. And then verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. And that's actually our verb, batach. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And the blessings of being able to trust in the Lord is that there's no expiration date. (laughs) All right? If we trust in man, there's an expiration date because every man is going to die. Or even prior to that, a man may just get mad at you and quit being trustworthy. And uh, when you trust in princes, or you trust in men, or you trust in money, or you trust in health, you trust in anything other than the Lord, you're trusting in a temporal thing that's going to go. And it's going to let you down. But we can trust in the Lord forever, because it's in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. So we have the aspect of trust. Now, I'm not going to go back and redo everything that we did last week, but I would encourage you Uh, When you think of trust, when you think of belief, the the walk of faith, because this is what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. That is, we are trusting in the one that we're walking with. We are running with endurance the race that's set before us. We are yoked together with Jesus Christ, and we should be walking with trust. We shouldn't have doubt. We shouldn't have fear. We shouldn't be scared of of the path that he's taking us on. This trust speaks to our reliance, all right? And uh, I spoke last week of the distinction between uh, batach in the Hebrew and pistuo in the Greek. The Septuagint never uses pistuo to translate batach. Okay, and I think that's significant. Uh, that's not, that can't be an accident when you've got hundreds of uses of batach and you've got hundreds of uses of pistuo in the Septuagint and not once do they intersect. Okay. And pistuo in the Greek New Testament and in the Septuagint, when we talk about what we are believing in, what it is that we are accepting and what it is that we are trusting, there's, different, there's a different emphasis on that. And, and I think in the Greek, you've got the emphasis on what you know, what you are persuaded by, and what you place your trust in based upon that persuasion. That's pistuo, all right? And so God never asks us to believe in nothing. He never asks us just to you know, um, (laughs) just to to close your eyes and hope for the best. That's not faith, okay? That's not pistuo. That's not pistis. With pistis, we're placing our faith in an object, and we're placing our faith in the object because we are considering that that object is pistos. That object is faithful, right? I'm going to trust in the Lord because he's pistos. I'm going to trust in God because he's pistos. He's faithful. He's the one that promised me eternal life if I, if I trust in his son. So I'm going to trust in his son. All right? That's pistuo. That I've, I've looked, I've considered, I'm placing my confidence in what I've been persuaded. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him against that day. All right? So there's really, as far as the Greeks were concerned, they, they kind of thought of it in two different ways. The, the, the trust, or the, 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 the persuasion and then the placement of trust, okay? As far as the Hebrew is concerned, this batach is only the second part of that, okay? It's not dealing with the mind or the consideration or the, the persuasion. The, the batach is simply limited to the, 
to the final product of pistuo. All right. In other words, it is the assurance of trusting in God. Okay. It is that assurance of just being held in His arms. And that's the uh, the component of it there. All right. Does that make sense? So it's not to say that the Hebrews ignored the first part of it. They just use other verbs for the first part of it. They use other verbs uh, for the, the persuasion and the, and the believing and the understanding and, and uh, the, the process that leads us to the reliance or the trust. That's all I'm saying there. All right. Secondly, human understanding cannot be trusted. This is the, this is the flip side to trust in the Lord. Don't rely on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. And so in the poetry, we have the positive command to trust and the negative command to do not lean. And right there, we have the definition of what it does it mean to trust. <laughs> to trust, it means to lean on. To trust, it means to rely on. Okay? Because the positive command is parallel to the negative command. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding will let you down. Your own understanding cannot be trusted. Your own understanding will actually be colored more often than not by your own flesh, your own carnality, your own lusts. That's why you're much better off asking God to search your heart and not searching your own heart. Because when you search your own heart, you make excuses for things that you don't want to admit need to be dealt with. But when you ask the Lord to search your heart, search me, try me, know me, then those issues get brought out and they get dealt with. The Lord deals with them and we grow through it and we move on. Okay. Human understanding cannot be trusted. It cannot even be leaned upon. Uh, we have not only Proverbs 3, 5, but we also have Proverbs 28, 26. It is self-delusional and altogether wicked. It is self-delusional and altogether wicked. That is your own understanding, your own theories, your own ideas, your own wisdom. So let's turn back to Proverbs 28 and see the other passage here in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. (laughs) But he who walks wisely will be delivered. He who walks wisely will be delivered. And isn't this interesting? Isn't this totally at odds with, with modern philosophy today? with the worldview that's prevalent in our culture today, to search your feelings, be true to yourself. I deserve to be happy. And all these other things. It's the, it's the psychology, it's the idolatry of, of self-esteem. It's the idolatry of my own personal fulfillment. Okay? And the whole concept behind self-help. <laughs> okay? Even, uh, you know, I think of that old, uh, the, the, the Star Wars line of, Search your feelings. You know this to be true. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Okay? I know that my heart, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? All right? I know that that no good thing has to be uh, stamped down. I know that the new heart has to be created in the image of God. It has to be transformed. It has to be renewed. And I know that day by day and moment by moment, if I'm not being renewed in my mind, I'm being conformed to this world. I'm going to be conformed to this age. That's a horrible process. And so we see it there. All right, Isaiah 47. It is self-delusional and altogether wicked. Isaiah chapter 47. 
more and more my Bible is opening itself up to Isaiah. Okay, I don't know why. Not really the physical book I study out of most often, but there it is. All right, Isaiah 47. Of course, there is a larger context here. Um, You'll notice it's not a happy message. It's a rebuke. Hmm. Verse 5 says, uh, Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you will no longer be called the queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage, and I gave them into your hand. You did not show mercy to them. On the aged, you made your yoke very heavy. Yet you said, I will be a queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. I will not sit as a widow, nor know the loss of children. But, verse 9, these two things will come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. You felt secure in your wickedness, And said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. You understand the depths of evil when you are relying on your own understanding, when you are substituting your wisdom for God's wisdom? You might as well just stand defiantly before him and declare yourself to be the I am, the self-existent, uncaused center of the universe. Why would you not trust in the Lord in all things and lean on your own understanding? Why would you substitute your understanding for His? But you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. But evil will come uh, on, uh, on you, which you will not know how to charm away. <laughs> Everything you've relied on in the past, your sorceries, your spells, your charms, that's not going to work on this one because God's hand is going to be coming upon you. Uh, and disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come upon you suddenly. So stand fast now in your spells and in your many sorceries which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. Okay, And it goes on. There's additional rebuke that comes from this. But, you know, when we substitute our own wisdom, we substitute how smart we are, we substitute our own backup plans, we substitute our own um, diversified portfolio and all the stuff we've done to ensure ourselves against any kind of loss where we say, nothing can touch us now. Uh, I cannot ever suffer any kind of harm because I've got everything possible is insured, everything possible is hedged, everything possible is diversified. And my own spellcasting, my own sorcery, my own um, cleverness has now left me with a pride that I am untouchable. I am sitting as a queen. I will never be widowed. I will never lose my children. And, uh, you know, this can happen as a nation. It can happen as a family. It can happen as a church. It can happen as, on an individual basis. It's that prideful attitude, and it's the pride that goes before the fall. We know that. Pride goeth before the fall. So, uh, it is self-delusional and altogether wicked. All right. 
In all your ways acknowledge Him. Verse 6 now. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. In all your ways acknowledge Him. So point C then. We're going to go through I. I don't know if we'll get it all done this morning, but we got A through I to cover verses 5 through 12. Divine acknowledgement is not limited to the really important decisions. <laughs> it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Okay? It doesn't say, in most of your ways, acknowledge him. Or, in the real big things you can't handle by yourself, um, use God as your backup plan. It doesn't say that. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And I think with respect to that, with respect to that, we ought to consider our ways and we ought to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves, what are our ways that we are failing to acknowledge him in? What are the components of our, of our daily life, of our work life, of our church life, of our marriage life, of our family life, or what have you? Of any of our ways, are there ways where we don't acknowledge him at all? Okay. And um, this is what uh, I, I think if we can apply this on that basis, taking this as it's intended, as it's written, as a general principle of wisdom, all right, we're not going to turn it into a formula, and we're not going to turn it into some kind of, a, of an insane uh, process, mechanical process, all right, um, where it's, it's just abused and ridiculous. Okay. But I think there's a good pattern. There's a vivid illustration of this found in the life of David. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. I think uh, the New Testament equivalent for this is found in Philippians 4.6, where it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is it we're supposed to be praying about? And what part of everything do we not understand? Okay, Because it says, in nothing. Let's, let's take a look at that. Proverbs, or... Uh, Philippians 4.6. And Paul is great with this. Paul, if Paul would have been in the Old Testament, he could have written some great uh, Proverbs of his own. He could have crafted his own Psalms and Proverbs and been a, a, a super author for the poetry of this. Because he likes to do dice ditches and he likes to do the contrasts. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You've got the repetitive poetry there. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You've got, uh, there's another Hebrew uh, poetry pattern followed there where you have a statement and then you have an expansion or an explanation given for why the first statement needs to be applied. And then we have, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. All right? And so we have a nothing correlated with an everything. And, and you put these together and you've, you've actually have infinite infinity twice, okay? Because you've got nothing and that's an absolute. And then you contrast it with the but everything and that's an absolute. And so now you have a comprehensive absolute stated twice. So be anxious for nothing. If there's something you're anxious over, then you are violating this verse. But in everything, again, there's the contrast. What's left out of that? Well, there's nothing left out of that because we preceded it with a nothing before that. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. Then the consequence, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? And it just bugs me to tears when I see believers trying to claim that verse 7 doesn't work. That uh, God's let them down. That they don't have the peace of God. That's not guarding their hearts and their minds. And I stop and say, well, wait a minute. Are you rejoicing in all things? Okay? If you're not, if you're not obeying verse 4, 5, and 6, why, why are you blaming God for not fulfilling verse 7? When verse 7 is written as a consequence to verses 4, 5, and 6. All right. Again, uh, are we going to limit this to the really important decisions? Am I only going to pray over the great big deals? It says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, when it comes to, uh, comes to this, and when it comes to the pattern we have in the gospel, or in the Proverbs, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I think it's legitimate to, I think it's legitimate to ask the question, well, what are my ways? What does it mean to be my way? What is it, what is, you know, is, does it include every um, nth degree decision or activity or, or could a person take this and be absolutely ludicrous with this? And I, th- I think yes, okay? And, and it's probably worth illustrating. So uh, here's, here's going overboard, okay? In my view, maybe... You draw the line somewhere else. But I think we have discernment to draw the line where we draw discernment to draw the line. Okay? And in all, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. So um, you get out of bed, you go into the bathroom, and now you've you're, you got to decide. Okay? Do I, do I brush my teeth first or do I shave first? All right? Or do I shave first? Before my shower, or do I shave after my shower? Or, all right, now, you're, you're, you're giggling, that's good, okay? You're good, that's good. But you see, somebody might look at, in all your ways, acknowledge him and say, well, I didn't acknowledge God. I should have, I should have, I should have bowed in prayer first and said, Lord, uh, do, I, do, I, do I brush my teeth first, or do do I shave first? Now, I'm going to do both before I leave this room, okay? But should I acknowledge him in all my ways? Okay? And I would say, you know what? That's not included in all your ways, all right? You acknowledge him when you first wake up that, hey, I've got a new day, <laughs> all right? This is a day of grace. I acknowledge him in, as I'm thanking him for the fact that I live in a house and not under a bridge. Or I thank him for the fact that I, I, I was in a bed last night and not, you know, you know, all these things, okay? In general, as an overall pattern for my life, I do acknowledge that he is the one that has provided. All right? That's the general application of wisdom literature. And I'm not going to, and then I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand there in my closet and and, and fervently pray over the blue shirt or the green shirt or the red and white striped shirt or the... But see, here's the thing. Some folks might take to a large extent or take to a, I think it's to an absurd degree, a definition of all things. 
Okay? In everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. I think we need to grow into a maturity where we're relaxed about certain things that are in the discretionary will of God. That he has left it to our discretion. And he doesn't care if we brush our teeth first or if we shave first. Or if we use the crest or we use the Colgate. All right? Those, those aren't big deals in his book. And he does not going to answer our prayers related to that. Now, here's an example. Let's go to 1 Samuel 23 and let's see a pattern here. Okay? <clears throat> because when do we actually cross into a realm that we do want to start making prayer items about? We do want to acknowledge Him, okay? And of course, acknowledging doesn't mean asking all the time what to do, what to do, what to do, but just acknowledging means having the the humble fear of the Lord mindset that I am in His presence at all times. Um, But 1 Samuel 23... Verse 2, 4, 11, and 12. There's probably a couple of other verses in the midst also that would apply. But in 1 Samuel 23, David's on the run. Saul wants to kill him. And um, they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floors. Okay? That's not good. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now, if, if, if he wasn't running for his life and if he wasn't out of favor with Saul, well, then it'd be a no-brainer. He's in charge of the army. He would normally go out and go to war against the Philistines. He'd protect the village of Keilah and so forth. But it's a legitimate question. Hey, you know, God, I'm, uh, I'm kind of fired here, right? I'm not really the general of the armies anymore. Uh, my king wants me dead. Um, am I still responsible for defending Keilah against the Philistines or should I just... You know, and I think it shows his humility. The fact that he still cares about the fate of Keilah. He's not just stomping his feet and saying, okay, Saul, jerk, kick me out, try to kill me. You go fight the Philistines yourself. It's your problem. You're the king. You deal with those Philistines, right? There's a, there'd be a carnal attitude that would just say, I'm out of here. You know, um, Saul, you deal with those Philistines. But that's not David's heart. David's going to deal with those Philistines. Okay? <laughs> you know, like the pastor that got fired, and the day after they fired him, um, the, uh, the Monday morning, uh, one of the leading women in the church went, died, went to heaven. And uh, the deacons uh, are kind of scraping, and, uh, wow, what do we do? What do we do? And, and then they, they called the pastor. They just fired the day before and asked if he could preach a funeral. You know? And uh, this is a true story. And uh, he did it. Man was a man of grace. He went, he preached the funeral, he comforted the family, he taught the word of God, gave the gospel the day after they fired him. Well, so here's David inquiring, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said, go, attack the Philistines and deliver them. So he, this is in all your ways, acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. He gives you divine guidance. If you, if you need wisdom, you ask of God, this is a life choice set in front of you. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah uh, against the ranks of the Philistines? All right. So now David's assured of the will of God, but he is responsible for people under his command. He has troops that he's leading into battle. And um, 
these, these men that are loyal to him, that have followed him in his flight. All right. And so this might be a pattern if you are a husband and you're, you know what the will of God is, but your wife's not quite convinced. Or uh, you're a pastor and you know what the will of God is, but your deacons aren't quite on board yet. All right. Or any other uh, leadership responsibility here. So David stomped his foot and yelled at his men and said, you jerks, I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. Oh, no, that's not what he says. <laughs> All right. He very graciously now leads them in the process. Inquire to the Lord once more. I believe in the hearing of the men present so that they are a part of this process saying, you know what? You know, I've already been praying about this, but I forgot to bring you involved into the prayer. So let's go through the process again. Let's involve uh, this person or that person or this wife or that child or that deacon or, or what have you. And uh, so the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And I love that. He's not rebuking him. It's not a carnal prayer. It's not like Balaam who got an answer he didn't like and then went back to try to get a different answer. This is David who got an answer, and whether he liked it or not, it was the answer he was going to obey. But he's taking his men through the process now so that they understand what his priorities are and how he acknowledges the Lord and all these things. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. He led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. All right, there it is. Divine guidance, acknowledge the Lord. He makes your path straight. You seek him. If, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. You think, well, okay, I've obeyed God. What can go wrong now? If I'm where I'm supposed to be, there won't be any problems, right? Well, wait a minute. So it came about, uh, we've got Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech. He fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And when it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. Saul goes, aha, I got him now. He's not in a cave. He's not out there in the boonies. He's not hiding in the wilderness. He's in a, he's in a, a city location. I've got him trapped. I can surround it. The men will give him up. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now, David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And now we've got another component to bring in because now we've got a priest, now we've got an ephod, and we've got additional witnesses to be a part of this in all your ways acknowledge him process. So David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? You know, if you're hidden in the city and they surround the city and say, give him up or we're killing all you guys, well, that's, uh, that's a big threat. And um, God answers him and said, yes, he will come down. So God knows the future. In his foreknowledge, he knows all the things that will happen if certain things take place. And this is huge. This is a powerful chapter for if you ever study omniscience and what God knows and the, and the what-ifs of what God knows will happen and what God knows might happen, this chapter is, is, is a powerful chapter in our understanding of foreknowledge. Okay, He will come down. 
Now, if you know the end of the chapter, Saul never comes down. He never comes down because David doesn't stick around. David leaves. But had David stayed, Saul would have come down. And so God says, yes, he will come down if you stay here. And will they give me over? Yes, if you stay here. So he knows all the what ifs and what's going to happen after that. Will they surrender me? Yes, they will surrender you. Verse 12. Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. (laughs) Said, well, uh, makes sense to me. Why, Why stick around and get caught? And they went wherever they could go. And when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. He never even went to Keilah. Just gave up the pursuit because they scattered. Okay? So David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country. Different things that, uh, that happen here. So it's a vivid illustration. And I believe it shows a process whereby in all our ways we acknowledge him. He directs our steps. If in fact we have taken a step in faith that has brought us to a certain point, And now we find, because we're here, now there's a whole new conflict and circumstances. It's not the occasion to try to undo that. It's not our occasion to go back or try to say, oh, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have come here. Okay, wrong. You, you went there by faith. God took you there by faith. And so now where is he going to take you? Beyond or somewhere else or what now? Go back again. Keep seeking Him. Keep acknowledging Him. Don't uh, don't fall for Satan's method where you just start second-guessing past choices. You start wondering, ooh, maybe that was right. Maybe that was wrong. Oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. No. If in all your ways you acknowledge Him, He makes your path straight. Don't call Him a liar at the time, ahead of time, or after the fact. Okay? This is what we can rely upon. That's why you have the rest part of faith rest. <laughs> you, make your, you claim your promise, you claim it by faith, and then you rest. You let him deal with the results. You let him deal with the consequences. You let him take you where, where you're going to be next. All right? Because he said that choice was a faith choice. That decision was a faith decision. And we made it at the time. And, and people sometimes struggle with this. In humanity, we struggle with this. And they go, well, yeah, but, but now we know more. And, and we learned with hindsight, we learned things that we didn't know back then. That's right. You didn't know back then, but God did know back then. Okay? So just because you've learned a little bit more information in the meantime, don't, don't think that you're so smart now that you can go back and undo something that you did. Wait a minute. You're always going to deal with finite knowledge. You're always going to deal with finite limitations. That's why you acknowledge Him. That's why you trust in Him. You, you, in all your ways, you acknowledge Him. Say, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. You give it to Him. And then, what's he going to do? Give you a snake? Give you a stone? No, he's going to give you a fish. He's going to give you a loaf of bread. He, God is not cruel. He's not stupid. He's not, he's not going to take you somewhere that's going to get you in trouble when you acknowledged him in the first place that got you there. Why would God do such a thing? But see, that's, that's, what, the, that's what the devil does. He causes the little snippy little doubting questions to come in. Ooh, did God truly say? Indeed, did God say? You know, look what you're doing here. Ooh, did God did God tell you to come here? Is that what he really said? Because now, man, now you're in a bad spot. The, Saul's going to show up here and kill you. What are you doing here? Did God tell you to come here? 
And then that little doubt that he that he sows in there causes us to think about all the wasted time we we spend just rehashing old old choices and old, you know. Does that edify? What does that? What does they even accomplish? When it comes right down to it. So, I would come back then to Proverbs and and view my ways as as a uh, as an umbrella as a as a general expression. Okay, and uh, not as a, as a specific thing, okay, but as a general. My ways are my ways, okay. Not every little in, nth degree kind of uh, choice set before me. All right, he will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. Point D. The summary of our walk is called straight. He doesn't call it happy. He doesn't say he will make everything happy. He doesn't say problem-free. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and you will never have a problem ever again. It's not what it says. It says straight. Or you could render it as upright. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths Upright. Upright. You're acknowledging Him. He makes your way straight. You're walking with the Lord and you have nothing to to dodge, nothing to duck, nothing to apologize for. You are upright in the integrity of your heart. You are serving the Lord. You're not turning to the left. You're not turning to the right. The, The blessing of obedience to the will of God. Somebody else has a problem with what you're doing. Well, Lord will have to deal with that problem. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm walking upright. It is not a happy life. Not promised to be happy. Again, that's that idolatry of of uh, self-esteem. That idolatry of personal happiness, or problem-free, or wealthy, or fill in anything else you want to fill in there. See, but this is where believers get off track and they get they start blaming God. They say, I've been obedient. I've I've done good. I, I go to church. Uh, why, why, why? And they start blaming God. Do I have this problem, that problem, this other problem, this other problem? Well, wait a minute. When were you ever promised a problem-free life? You want no kind of testing at all? What do you want? Of course you got problems. Of course you got testing. Of course you got uh, adversity. That's how we learn. If we didn't have adversity, we would never learn. We would never grow. Our spiritual muscles would never develop. But it says straight. The verb is yasher, Y-A-S-H-A-R, 3474. And that is if something is crooked, you can make it straight. If something is rough, you can make it smooth. If something is wrong, you can make it right. And that's the verb, which is actually changing something. God makes our path straight. Because if we're left to our own devices, we don't have a straight path. And then the adjective, yashar, speaks of something that has been straightened, something that has been yashared. So the adjective of yashar, which has 119 uses. There's a lot more to the adjective than there is to the verb. But this was the description of uh, Job. He was an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. All right, An upright believer. Walking in the uprightness of his integrity. 
Okay. I created a combined verse list for these, for the verb and the adjective. There's other terms, by the way. There's other nouns. There's other, if you want to remember, um, uh, Sharon, by the way, is a name that comes from this, from Yashar, from straight or smooth or level. Okay, and so there's, uh, there's some land that's hilly, like the hill country, and then there's some land that's plain. And so the plain or the level straight land is Sharon, the, the plain of Sharon, like the rose of Sharon. All right, so we can make this larger, hopefully. Good morning. Here we go. Fill the screen and make it larger. Is that better? All right, 144 results and 144 verses. And uh, like I say, this combines the verb with the adjective. And um, I think if we skip on down to... There's other ones in the law about doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Doing what's right in your own eyes. That's not positive. Um, the book of Jashar, that comes from the, the same uh, root. Samson said, get her for me for she looks good to me. <laughs> well, not good for the Lord. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But see... If we're left up to us to say what's right, what's wrong, is it our social uh, culture that determines morals? Or is it his absolute standard of righteousness? All right. Let me get down to the Psalms and Proverbs. Where the kings of, uh, of Judah were, were judged whether they did right in the sight of the Lord or they did wrong in the sight of the Lord, whether they rose to the level of David, whether they were Yashar, as David was Yashar in the sight of the Lord. A bunch more in Chronicles, Ezra. Okay, here's our uses in Job. A man in the name uh, from the land of Uz, his name was Job. He was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And that's a great definition for you. That how do you have this Yashar life? What does God expect of you in this Yashar walk? Uh, well, what we're seeing here in Proverbs three, we are acknowledging Him in all our ways. We are acknowledging Him, fearing the Lord, and turning away from evil. Job becomes our great illustration for that. God even confesses in in verse 8, there is no one like him on the earth. He is unparalleled on the earth as far as his yashar walk. Becomes part of the argumentation between Job and his friends when they they doubt that he is yashar. They say, we don't don't believe you, Job. When when, when have the yashar ever suffered like you're suffering? God doesn't do that. And uh, of course, they're trapped into failing to identify undeserved suffering and angelic conflict. Psalm 5.8. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. You know, if you've got conflict, what do you need? You've got to be following the Lord. Oops. Yeah. Confusing things. How did I get there? Let's close that. There we go. All right. Uh, Psalm 710, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. 
Psalm 11.2, the upright in heart. And there's the enemies that are uh, attacking him. Psalm 11.7, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. Psalm 25.8, good and upright is the Lord. See, this idea of upright is right because it's compatible with God's own nature. We discussed that on Sunday night as well. Is it divine command theory that God just says it's right, so it's right? God says it's wrong, so it's wrong just because he said so? Or are these objectively, absolutely, eternally right and wrong based upon his own nature, unchanging nature of who he is in his perfect righteousness? That's the better way to understand righteousness. So good and upright is the Lord. Uh, Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart, Psalm 32, 11. Praise is becoming to the upright in Psalm 33, 1. The word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness in Psalm 33, 4. So many of these that uh, we can appreciate. Well, we could just spend the whole hour on upright verses, can't we? Psalm 107.42, the upright see it and are glad, but they not the unrighteous. Um, Psalm 111, verse 1, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. that uh, He doesn't leave us all uh, alone, but we have a company of the upright. Psalm 119, therefore I esteem right all your precepts. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Psalm 125.4, those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. Psalm 140, verse 13, the upright will dwell in your presence. See, how in the world are we even qualified to spend eternity with God? Because we're, we're fallen creatures. We are, we are in Adam. We are condemned until he makes us alive together with Christ. Now we can be qualified as upright and stand in his presence. Uh, in Proverbs, the term upright, the adjective yashar, the verb yasher, he stores up, Proverbs 2, 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Psalm 2, 20, or Proverbs 2, 21, for the upright will live in the land and the blameless. We have it there. Twice we have it here in chapter 3, verse 6 and then verse 32. Verse 32 is our next use on it. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. He is intimate with the upright. God wants to be intimate. We're supposed to grow in that fellowship, in that intimacy. You appreciate that. Psalm uh, Proverbs 4.25. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Well, if you're going to acknowledge him in all your ways, where else are you going to look? All right, he will make your path straight. Keep your, keep your gaze where your path is going. You know, and how many believers are kind of looking to the left and the right? And maybe they're not carnal yet, but they're looking thinking about it well you know yeah this is the path god has me on but what uh, let me just check out and see what's over here you know why why even look at it why even think about it why even consider it do you want to look at it do you want to consider it you think you might just depart from the path for a little while have some fun and then get back on the path again whenever god will not be mocked god will not be mocked okay Proverbs has a lot to say about Yashar. Proverbs 8, 9. Proverbs 8, 9. I am really looking forward to getting to Proverbs 8. There's so much in here, but 
All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They're all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. If you're humble before the word of God and you want to know what does the word of God say about this? He's not going to lie. He's not going to make it crooked. He's not going to make it complicated. And anyone that says he is, well, that's not exactly clear. I'm not sure what he means by that. Wait a minute. You're just like Balaam. You don't like the answer you got. So you're going to go back and see if you might get a different answer next time. If you are seeking for what he's saying, if you say, well, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? And you're seeking him, you're humbly asking for his word to reveal to you, you're going to learn from his word. Proverbs uh, 9.15. Here's this woman of folly sitting in the doorway of her house, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. See, Satan doesn't give up and look at a believer and say, oh, look at that. They're making their path straight. Oh, well, I guess I'll give up on them. The devil doesn't do that. In fact, those are the ones who are trying to trip up. The other ones out there in crookedness, they got them already. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get them all snared. They're already snared. Let's go get one of these. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet. Come on, this is going to be fun. So when you're walking on that straight path, realize there's folks off that path that are going to be trying to lure you away. Proverbs 11, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6. There's a whole stretch of them here in Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 11. A whole stack of them there in Proverbs 11. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. That's verse 3. Verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Verse 6. That smooth his way there is the one that's, that's rendered with a yasher in verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will yasher, will smooth his way. Verse 6, it's the upright. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the, treacherousness will, uh, the treacherous will be caught in their own greed. And then finally, verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. All right. Well, there's more. Stay tuned because we're going to come across the upright again and again and again and again. Proverbs 21's got a stack of them. Verse 2, verse 8, verse 18, verse 19. Let's look at those and we can call that good, I think. Proverbs 21. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, this is why if you're just relying on your own self-examination, um, you're going to make excuses for things. It's going to be right in your own eyes. You could justify anything. So let the Lord weigh the heart. Let him highlight the things that have to be dealt with. Uh, verse 8. 
The way of a guilty man is crooked, but for the pure, his conduct is upright. Verse 18. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, and the treacherous is in the place of the upright. And then finally, verse 29. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. He makes his way sure. Now, how many of these verses have we seen where the one walking uprightly is contrasted with somebody else, right? Either the wicked or the crooked or the perverse or just somebody not walking in righteousness. In almost every single one of these that I can remember just skimming through here today, it's that way of the upright is being contrasted with the alternative, and the alternative is not happy, (laughs) okay? The alternative is not where you want to be in the will of God. We're supposed to, in all our ways, acknowledge Him. He will make our path straight. He's the one that does it. I don't know why. I don't know why people want to make it more complicated than it than it needs to be. All right. Well, that's A, B, C, and D. We've got E, F, G, H, and I. That we want to move on to. Let's see what the rest of this is going to be for next week. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We got the pride issue there. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We saw many of those principles already in the Yashir verses we were just looking at. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Oh my. You will meet people that will tell you that if your spiritual life is right, you will never be sick ever again. And if you're sick, well then what's wrong with you? All right. Or uh, you'll never be poor ever again. Because, well, why aren't your barns filled with plenty? Why aren't your vats overflowing with new wine? And so we have the health and we have the wealth. That is a natural consequence for a believer walking in wisdom. A believer that's living the biblical lifestyle doesn't have the health issues and financial issues that somebody walking an unbiblical lifestyle is going to have. And that's just... Common sense. I mean, it's just obviously. That's why uh, if you join some of these um, co-ops and some of these health uh, medical expense sharing things and whatnot, we used to be a part of those where they say, look, we will help cover your medical expenses, but we do not underwrite unbiblical lifestyles. Well, we're not going to, this is not insurance against carnality. And if you are following a non-biblical lifestyle or, uh, you know, get a a disease that we don't cover, we're not going to pay for that. And uh, I think that's valid according to the principles of Proverbs chapter 3. Anyway, we'll deal with that next week. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for all you're teaching us. Father, I pray that we would understand what does it mean to be yashar? What does it mean to be upright? To be fixing our eyes straight ahead, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And Father, not turning to the left, not turning to the right. Open our eyes to these realities, Father, so that we can be um, fulfilling what it is that you're teaching us here in this chapter. In all our ways, we want to acknowledge you, Father, and uh, we do so if there's realms where we fall short, if there's realms that we are not acknowledging you in, Father, then I pray that you would highlight that and bring to our attention that this is really a a, a way of life that we should be uh, acknowledging you in, Father. And if we fail, then then we're going to reap the consequences of that. So spotlight these things for each one of us, Father, in our in our homes, in our marriages, in our church family, in our workplace. In, uh, in, in all our ways, Father, don't allow any way to be omitted of, uh, of something that should acknowledge you.
And uh, Father, I just thank you for making such things clear to each one of us on a day-by-day and moment-by-moment basis. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.